Welcome to PBC Talks. If you would like to find out more information, please visit pbc.org.uk. Good morning, everybody. Are we well? Yeah? Um, So I thought I'd start this morning with a bit of a confession. I feel like that's always a good way to start a talk, you know? Let you see the real me before we go any further. Um, So here I go. This is my confession to you all this morning. I hate gardening. I know, I hear you gasp, I'm so sorry, but I really hate it. I don't understand it. I don't understand how it's a recreational activity. Like, sometimes I call my mum and dad. Yeah, this is totally me. Sometimes I call my mum and dad at the weekend, and I'm like, oh, hey, mum, hey, dad, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. How was your weekend? And they're like, it's been amazing. We did a full Saturday in the garden. We were mowing the lawn and, like, troweling. I don't even know if that's a word. Troweling in the soil, and we planted all these things. Every time I go around, my mum gives me a tour of all the new plants that have been planted. And I have to be like, mmm, lovely, Yes. I don't get it. I really don't get it. So when I was asked to preach as part of the I Am series and then got told I I have I Am the Vine, I was like, great, thanks. It talks about branches, fruit, pruning, vines. I literally considered getting a subscription to Gardener's World just for this morning to be more prepared. I did also think about maybe um, asking if I could swap for I am the bread of life. Because bread, I like. (laughs) Bread, I understand. (laughs) Much simpler. But thankfully, as we've seen this series, Jesus didn't have a warped understanding of who he was. He didn't actually think he was a door, a piece of bread, or a vine. In fact, Jesus had a very clear understanding of who he was. He is the Son of God. And he uses these statements to give give us a glimpse of his power, his provision, his character, and all the life he offers to those who believe in him. And recently, I've been thinking a lot about purpose. I keep telling people that I'm having a quarter-life crisis until I realize I'm really backing myself to live to 104. (laughs) So you never know, maybe that will happen. But I have a real fear of life passing me by without ever really achieving my purpose or making an impact. And I'm sorry if this is starting to seem a little bit morbid this morning. But have you ever felt like that? Because I worry that I'll look back on my life and think, well, I didn't really achieve anything big. You know, I won't have won the Nobel Peace Prize or (laughs) become the first woman to walk on the moon or met the Queen. That is a genuine ambition of mine. And the one thing that I do hope will happen. Um, But I think, I don't think that's unique to me. I think we all want to live this full life. We all want to fulfill our purpose. I don't think that question is unique. What is my purpose? But maybe I'm starting with the wrong definitions of what makes a full life. Because the Bible tells us our purpose, the reason we are made. It's to bring glory to God. It says in Isaiah 41 verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory. And John also, towards the end of um, his gospel, explains the reasons why he's written the, the book. He says, these things are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life 
by the power of his name. And life to John means life to the full, abundant life. And we see in John 10.10, 10, it, says, it says that Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or some versions of the Bible use this word abundantly. And in our passage that we just read today, Jesus says that his true disciples, that true disciples remain in his love, bear much fruit, bring glory to God, are filled with deep overflowing joy and produce fruit that will last. I propose to you that this is abundant living. Life in the vine is life to the full. It's an intimate connection to Jesus through which we will fulfill our true purpose of glorifying God the Father. Life in the vine allows the Holy Spirit to work within us, producing fruit in our character. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness and self-control. Life in the vine produces lasting fruit for the kingdom of God. Because when we become more like Jesus, loving others and pointing people to him, that's when people meet their saviour. So I hope at the very least I've convinced you that life in the vine is worth looking at and learning about this morning. So before delving into the details of the passage, I thought it'd be good to do a quick sort of who's who, because it is quite metaphorical. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. So Jesus is the vine. God the Father is the gardener and we are the branches. So that's sort of our main characters in play here. And when I started thinking and preparing and looking at, you know, what is this passage actually about? The first thing that struck me, the first thought that I had was actually what it's not about. Or maybe I should say who it's not about. Because it's not about you and it's not about me. It's not about us. We are only the branches in this story. And the passage is so clear. It tells us that a branch cut off from the vine is useless and cannot produce fruit. It can do nothing separated from the vine. We read in verse 6, it's thrown away and it withers. There is no fruit for the branch independently from the vine. And I don't think we like to hear that sometimes. We don't like to hear, it's not about you. Or at least I don't. Because the message we hear today in sort of our culture is that it's all about you. You are the number one character of your own life. Do what you want. So it might feel quite uncomfortable to hear that the true purpose of your life has nothing to do with your own success. It might even feel like bad news because it lowers the importance of some of the things that we have in our life that we might love and hold dear. Things like our job, our wealth, our status or reputation. Because we can build a successful life on earth without Jesus, but none of it will last. And actually we'll be robbed of the true abundant life because we'll be focusing on building up our worldly success instead of focusing on our relationship with him. And that isn't to say at all that jobs, money, status are bad things in and of themselves. But they are not the lasting fruit. And the joy that the passage talks about in verse 11, this complete overflowing joy, that comes from a relationship with Jesus. But on the other hand this morning, it might be a huge relief to hear that it doesn't depend on you. It's not about you. 
Because when we feel useless and all we can see is our failings, it becomes so easy to believe that we can never amount to anything. Because the thing is, it's not about you, it's not about me, because it's about Jesus. Because for the branch to produce fruit, there is only that one condition, remain in the vine. So if we ever feel too worthless or useless to be used by God, we need to remember it's not about who we are, it's about who he is, and he is mighty. And this series, we've been looking at all the I am's, the the statements that Jesus said about himself. And you know, the first time that God, um, in the Old Testament, he refers to himself as I am, is when he appears to Moses. And you might remember in the story of the burning bush. God used Moses mightily to liberate his people from Egypt. Moses, he was a murderer and he had a speech impediment. There is no one that God cannot use. And God will work within us to refine us as well. And we know that because we read in verse 2, it says that God the Father, as the gardener, so it says every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And in Philippians 1.6, we read that we can be confident of this, that he will begin a good work in He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Because God will use us and we will bear fruit. We're all a work in progress. We just need to be connected to the vine. And I think it's important that we start from this place of humility. Where we realize it's not about us because it's all about Jesus. And Jesus, the one who it is all about, Well, he wants to have a relationship with you, and he wants to offer you this life to the full. It's about him. He is the vine. And the success to being a fruit-bearing branch is clear in verse 5. We read, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Being connected to Jesus is the difference. Cut off from the vine, no fruit. Connected to the vine, much fruit. So we need to remain, or some versions of the Bible use this word abide in Jesus. Jesus says in verse 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. Not maybe or possibly I will or see if I'm, you know, busy or washing my hair. He will If we remain in Jesus, he will be in us. It's our choice to include him in our lives, but if we do, he promises to be within us. And when we accept Jesus in our lives, we receive his Holy Spirit. We know this in the Bible. It says in Ephesians 1.13, And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. Now, as I revealed earlier, my love of gardening is limited and my skills are non-existent. (laughs) I actually struggle to keep plants alive in my flat. I think our most successful plant, I'm just kind of looking to my housemates for the nod here, is our Ikea cactus, which is fake. So I'm going to take that as a win. It's it's lived the whole time we've been there. Um, And so I'm even really bad at keeping like flowers sort of alive and you know, I get bought flowers all the time. So uh, 
mostly from my mum, I have to um, put them in the flat and in water. But I often forget that, they, that you need to top up the water, which I'm told, and I'm told if they're not in water, that seriously reduces their lifespan. Lesson learned. But at least with flowers, I can feel like, you know, a little bit less bad because they were always going to die. I might have just sort of sped up the process, but they were always going to die because they've been cut off from the, the plant or the bush and they no longer have access to all the nutrients that flow through the stem from the roots. Woo! I literally learned that. I had to call my dad yesterday to be like, is this gardening terminology accurate? And he confirmed that it was. So I don't even know if it's gardening or like, oh, what's the one? No, this is, never mind, tangent. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the word. Horticultural. Is that plants? Yes. I'm learning already. Um, but when Jesus talks about being the vine, it's a living vine. That's my point. It gives life. So to remain or abide in Jesus refers being connected to him so that we receive our nourishment and life from him. It's about constant connection and intimate relationship. And the Holy Spirit within us, that's our spiritual sustenance, if you like. And in this passage, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Um, they, they're in the upper room, and it's shortly before he is going to be betrayed and arrested. He will soon die on the cross, rise from the dead, and ascend to heaven. Amen. He knows his time is coming with them, is coming to an end. He knows he's not going to be physically present with them for much longer. So what an encouragement for them to hear that although he is soon going to depart from them, he will remain united to them and they to him. And that is the same promise that Jesus has for us today. Right, so I think let's take sort of a second to take stock of what we know. We know the branches are useless when apart from the vine and the secret to bearing fruit is to remain connected to the vine. And we know to be true disciples who produce lasting fruit and glorify God, we need to remain in Jesus. So for me, then the next logical question is, well, how? How do we remain in the vine? How do we cultivate, see what I did there, a constant connection and intimate relationship with Jesus? How do we then remain in him? And the answer is surprisingly simple. Obedience. In verse 10, it says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Simple to understand, I think much harder to do. And to be honest, I really wish it was a different answer. Because am I the only one that struggles with obedience? Like when somebody tells me to do something, I like instinctively and instantly want to do the opposite. And I think, I think this is actually something I've inherited from my father. The Russells don't really like him. We don't really like authority, do we, Dad? Um, <laughs> or at least what I wish is that it was some kind of lofty theological concept that was so hard to grasp that I kind of had an excuse for not doing it. You know, didn't really get that, sorry. But that's not the case here. Obedience is simple to understand. We will remain in Jesus' love and benefit from connection to the vine when we obey his commands. And Jesus modeled this perfectly in his relationship to the Father. Because if we go on to read the second half of verse 10, it says, 
if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. And then the second bit, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And in John 6, 38, a bit earlier in the book, Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of he who sent me. Even to the point of death, Jesus obeyed his father's will. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is in constant communication with his father. And this may sound um, stupid, but actually one of the things I'd never properly considered or at least sort of digested um, until recently was the fact that Jesus prayed. And I know I've I've read this in the Bible many times, but I don't think I've really considered its implications because, you know, before his death, Jesus prays to the Father for strength to do the Father's will. You know, if Jesus prayed, how much more do I need to pray? And I think it's easy sometimes to think of prayer as a bit of a shopping list. And I know I've certainly do this. So we come to God, we do a quick, hey God, how you doing? We give him our requests. We go a quick, thanks God, see you later. And that sort of prayer ticked off for the day. However, prayer really is about developing relationship. That's what God wants. And when we pray, it reveals more about who God is and we can experience a deeper relationship with him. And we see this perfect example of intimate relationship between Jesus and his father. So to follow Jesus' example means to be in regular conversation with him, to include him in all areas of our life, even areas that we don't let anyone else into to submit to his will in all things and obey his commands. So we now know the how, obedience to Jesus' commands. The next question is what? What does he command? And again, the passage reveals a simple answer. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And repeated again at verse 17, this is my command, love each other. So Jesus doesn't provide a long um, list of rules to follow. Love is a sufficient guide. And in Galatians 5.14, we see this. It says, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if there's one thing to get right, if there's one thing to know and to learn, it's this. Love each other. And then the detail that comes in through knowing Jesus because he is the supreme example of love. So that's why this morning, actually, what it's about, it's about love. Jesus tells us to love others. That is his command. But in our own strength, this is going to be difficult, if not impossible sometimes, to sustain. Because obedience um, in loving others, that needs to come first from our love for Jesus. Because Jesus says, verse 12 again, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So we have to know God's love first. Otherwise, we can't truly love others and be obedient to Jesus in the way we are called. And again, the Bible is clear. 1 John 4, 19, we love 
because he first loved us. In verse 9 of the passage, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus keeps his Father's commands in the knowledge of his Father's love for him. So he invites us to do the same. He says, obey my commands in the knowledge of my love for you. Because that's how you will then remain in my love. Do you know the love Jesus has for you? Because if you don't, obedience to his commands is is really a non-starter. We might as well stop here. Because obedience without love is always going to be unsustainable. Why should I do what a lofty, transcendent being that's all the way up there and doesn't care about me, why should I do what he tells me to do? How we view God, how we know God is crucial. Do we see him as a loving father, a harsh taskmaster, or an occasional supervisor? How we see him reflects how we relate to him. We see, we see the intimacy between Jesus and God the Father. Jesus calls him Abba, which literally translates as like Papa or Dada. You know, that's often the first words that babies learn to say. So, Because, you know, even in our lives, how much easier is it for us to do things that our loved ones are asking us to do rather than if a complete stranger walked up to us and said, do this. And it's not to say that it's not hard or requires effort or anything like that, but love needs to be the foundation of our obedience. And if you don't know the love God has for you, I promise you it's worth knowing. Maybe you once knew, but you've forgotten. Maybe you do know, but you want to be reminded this morning because life is tough and surrendering to God's will just seems like the last thing you could do at the moment. Just that step too far, too difficult, too scary. Well, I want to try something this morning just for a few minutes. I want us to dwell on the cross before we go any further. Because if we want to know just how much God loves us, this is the place that we need to start. So I want everyone to just close their eyes for a minute. I promise I'm not going to do anything weird to you. And even if you don't know Jesus yet, He knows you, he loves you, and he died on the cross for you. But what I want, I'm going to close my eyes too, I'll just hold on so I don't fall anywhere, is that I want everyone to picture the cross in your mind. Picture that cross on the hill of Calvary in your mind. And I want you to have um, a personal connection to this this morning. I want you to know that the cross is a personal love note to you. I want you to remember that Jesus left his throne room in heaven and he came to earth to dwell amongst us. That he was willingly um, rejected and beaten and then he willingly went to his death on the cross for you. He did that so you could receive life, so that you could believe in him and receive that life. That eternal and the abundant life. He did it because he desires you. He wants an intimate relationship with you. He separated himself from the Father on that cross. In that moment when he had all the world's sin upon him, he chose to be separate from the Father so that we would never have to be separated from God. 
You are considered worth the cross to Jesus. You are the prize. You are the reason he died. He loves you so much. His blood was shed for you. And even if you were the only person that had ever walked this earth, you would still be worth it because you are the joy set before him when he enjoyed the cross. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you will minister in people's hearts right now so they will know a deeper understanding of the love that you have for them. Because we need to grasp this before we go any further. God, you love us so much and we see that in the cross. We know that through the cross. But I just pray that people will know that the cross is personal to them. You sat in your chair right now, even if you were the only person in this church, you were considered worth the cross. Amen. Now, if that's difficult for you, if you still actually don't believe that, or if you still don't actually feel like you know God's love, then I would love to pray for you after this service. And I know that we've got a prayer team at the front who would also love to pray with you. But the reason I wanted to do that is because if we, if we don't know God's love, it's so hard to continue and to obey. But when we know God's love, which is demonstrated so clearly through Jesus on the cross, then our desire to surrender and obey, that increases because we can trust in his love for us, the love that this loving father has for us. And maybe you've not had a great father on earth. And maybe actually thinking about God the Father is difficult for you. But he is a loving, heavenly father. And I promise you, he, even if you've got a great dad, he just like outshines them all. When we know Jesus' love for us, we're also then given the benchmark of how we are to love others as Jesus loved us. In verse 13, we see Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Because we are called to love each other in accordance with the same love we have received. So this is going to mean sacrifice, it might mean our money. It might mean our time. It possibly might even mean our lives. So I wonder if we truly grasp, if we truly think what loving others would look like if it looked like this. Because I have felt constantly heartbroken, to be honest with you, about how the church has got this wrong over the years. Because of all the places in the world, church needs to be the place that we get this right. Not because we're a bunch of angelic saints, but because we are sinners who have tasted God's grace and received his love, knowing that we don't deserve it. Because when we know of God's incredible love for us, we know his love for others. It's the same. It's the same for the millionaire, the homeless man, the priest, or the drunk. To love others as God loves, we need to see people how God sees them. And it's only through knowing God's love and having his spirit within us that we can begin to take on his perspective. And it takes practice. We all meet people and we have those instant negative reactions or negative judgments of those people. But when this happens, we need to start again. We need to remove our perspective and replace it with God's. 
We need to ask the question, how would God show love to that person and do that? In my job, um, for those of you that don't know, I work for a charity called Hope for Justice. And um, my job really is to advocate for people that have been identified as victims of modern slavery. And the short version of what I do is to support them access services and get the help that they need to overcome what they've been through and regain the choices for their future. And what I've learned in this work, I've been doing it sort of nearly four years now, is um, that the, the best way to go about working with anyone is first to see things from their point of view. Because what I might think is best to do, if it was me, just could be completely wrong and actually completely harmful sometimes to the person I'm trying to work with. But this is so much easier to do the longer that I've worked with a client because I need to know them first. I need to know their story, their character, the things they like and the things they don't like. Because it's only when I've got that knowledge that I can effectively step into their shoes and begin to see things from their point of view. So in the same way, if we want to see things from God's point of view, we need to know him. But thankfully, this isn't a guessing game because God revealed himself in Jesus. Jesus reflects the Father, and the more that we know him, the more that we love him, the more we will become like him, and the greater we can love others. And in churches, I think we talk a lot about love. Sort of, love thy neighbor was the classic gold star, have a sweet Sunday school answer. But I pray that we will be people who genuinely love others with the love that we have received from Christ. Because this would change everything. It would transform our relationships, it would transform our community, and it would transform our world. And now I really hope that that, I don't mean that to sound overdramatic, because I actually believe it. Because the love of Jesus transformed lives. So if we loved people like that, there will be transformation and huge ground will be taken for the kingdom. In PVC, I, I mean, I love this church and I love that we invite people to come as you are. And I pray that we will live that out. Don't expect people to change first. Jesus didn't. It's not change and then you can come. It's come and be loved receive life and be transformed by the love and grace you receive. Because when we love others like that, we point people to Jesus. And that is the kind of lasting fruit that I want to be part of making, introducing people to their saviour. So love is key. Paul understood this when he prays in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 to 19. It's one of my favourite passages in the Bible, and it was actually our memory verse at camp this year. So again, I'll try not to sing it. I'm actually not going to read it in full. <laughs> it's on the screen, but I'm just going to paraphrase it. It says, being rooted and established in love, Paul prays that being rooted and established in love, we will grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, so that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God's love leads to abundant life, life to the full because it is the key to life in the vine. We are first connected to the vine because of Jesus' love, and but we remain in the vine through living a life of prayer and obedience. It's about constant connection and intimate relationship. Flowing through the vine, the Holy Spirit works within us to help us comprehend God's love, submit to his will, and truly love others.
So life in the vine is a life of love. Love for God and love for others. Therefore, a full life no longer becomes about what we do or what we achieve, but who we do it for and who we do it with. So my fears of life passing me by and before I achieve any real purpose, perhaps that can finally be put to bed, even if I don't end up doing anything particularly monumental. Maybe we won't do extraordinary things in this life, but we can all do ordinary things with extraordinary love. The extraordinary, incredible love of Christ in us. Praise God indeed. Life to the full is living your true purpose as a branch in the vine. Treasuring an intimate relationship with Jesus. Following his example. Surrendering to his will. Loving others as you have been loved by him. And producing lasting fruit. This way may we be known as true disciples. And may we bring glory to the Father. Amen. Just going to invite the band back up and I'll just pray as they come up. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us the secret of life to the full. And that secret is to have an intimate relationship with you. Thank you that you love us so much, Jesus, that you died on the cross for us. And that we were the purpose and the prize of that. I pray that we will know more of your love this morning. And I pray that we will be able to recognize that love in our lives and be obedient to what you call us to do and go out and love others. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. Join us next week for another inspirational message.